Welcome to The Lens, hosted by Catalysis, where we get a glimpse inside healthcare organizations that are transforming to a culture of improvement to deliver continually higher value outcomes for patients, staff, and communities. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens for more information about Catalysis. Thank you for tuning in to The Lens. I'm your host, Peter Mariahazi. Today, I am joined by Dr. Lisa Urian, Chief Improvement Officer and Gastrointestinal and Hepatobiliary Pathologist at Cleveland Clinic. We are also honored to have Dr. Urian serve on the Catalysis Board of Directors. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. Lisa, could you please start by telling uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey to organizational excellence at the Cleveland Clinic? Yeah, happy to. Uh, so I'm from southeastern Ohio, rural part of the state. I came to the Cleveland Clinic in 2004 really to become a specialist in the diagnosis of gastrointestinal and hepatobiliary diseases, liver diseases. And a few years in, I started to get involved in trying to solve problems that we were facing within the department. Began to discover what others were doing and learned about continuous improvement, lean, uh, process improvement principles, and I and I love them. I love the idea that we could have a better way to make things better uh, for patients and caregivers. Um, my background is from rural southeastern Ohio, as I mentioned, I'm first generation college. I lived in a world where still many people don't have good access to excellent health care, and I, I very much saw the potential to use these things I was learning about to make things better for people. And so uh, really discovered through my work, a central team that had been formed in 2006 to drive process improvement at the Cleveland Clinic, started working with that team, became the medical director in time, and then in 2012 really sought to shift that team's focus from projects to cultural transformation. And that was a really pivotal time for us as an organization and as a CI team within that organization. And that's really what we've been pursuing ever since. Uh, we dubbed the term culture of improvement to represent really integrating continuous improvement and all the thinking that goes with it into our culture, every caregiver every day. Thank you for that. And it's really about the, the improvement for the people, right? Whether it's the caregivers or the patients. And, and thank you for that. So Cleveland Clinic has been on a journey to organizational excellence for some time. What are some of the key principles? You talked about culture. You know, there are principles that build that up, that establish that culture of improvement. Yeah, so I think there are several, and some were already in place when I got there, and we've been able to leverage them. Uh, one of those is patients first. So for many years, there's been a patient's first mantra at the clinic, which aligns well to emphasis on the customer and the customer's needs. And so I think that because we are so patient's first focused, that really makes it easy for us to ensure that our improvement efforts are focused on the customer, on the, the patient. I think that drives and supports it. The other thing that we did many years ago was to really emphasize the role of every one of us in impacting the experience, the outcome for the patient. And that is to shift from calling people who work there employees to caregivers. In shifting and using the word caregivers, we use messaging that said, every one of us, no matter what we do in the organization, has a role to play to make things better for the patient. 
We are all caregivers. And I think what that did was really elevate everybody's role in making things better for the patient, but also elevated everybody's responsibility and broadened an understanding that really, you know, every single person matters. And I think that aligns very nicely to respect for people. The third thing I'll say is the culture of excellence. So, you know, the Cleveland Clinic has had some very successful uh, times. We have been highly ranked in U.S. News and World Reports. Uh, we have a strong reputation in many places. And I think that culture of excellence really supports this desire to constantly want to do better. It's not common here to go uh, have a conversation with somebody about a possible improvement and people say we're good enough. Good enough isn't really part of our culture. I think that culture of excellence really helps keep pushing us forward so that we can engage every caregiver in making things better for the patient. So I think those are three of the um, kind of foundational principles that align nicely and have really helped us forward this culture and, 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 and deliver better results. Well, and, and you've done, and especially two of those examples, very much exemplified that words matter. The words that you use really set the mindset for those that you're talking to and working with and using the word caregivers is huge and excellence is is a journey not just an just a target it's it's we want to look at everything awesome how does your improvement system then support that frontline innovation of of them coming up with solutions yeah, so I think there are a couple things that we've done to encourage that. Um, we've developed through the work we started in, in 2012 that I mentioned, we started to work with teams to say, what does this culture look like and how can we really develop it? And as we did that work, we developed our own improvement model, which is really kind of our roadmap for how we do this here. Um, one piece of it is the uh, organizational alignment piece, which says what matters most and we use that question not just to set the high level uh, ocean, if you will, the direction for the organization, but really also when we engage every team to say what matters most for you, what is it that you need to deliver? And we find that providing that clarity really helps teams focus in on what do they need to improve versus the common current state we find when we engage a team, which is, we have a thousand things going on, we have a thousand problems, and we struggle to focus well enough to really say, okay, where really are our opportunities? So I think one piece is clarity on what matters most. The other thing that we did was create a problem-solving system. And this really came out of our very first model area, the first team we worked with. And that team learned how to solve a few problems using A3 thinking. And then they said, well, how do we organize? Like we can't be just doing A3s all the time on everything. How do we organize that? What I would now say problem solving work. And we created, a, we call a Kaizen system or problem solving system that every caregiver, frontline caregivers can use to identify, I see a problem, I see a waste, I see something that gets in the way of delivering on what matters most. Now I have a way to articulate that. I write it down on a card and I stick it on the board and my team huddles around it every week to see what are the new problems or opportunities we've identified this week and then which ones do we want to prioritize? Again, knowing what matters most, which are the highest impact, the lowest effort, what do we want to work on, how much are we working on currently, how much can we realistically take on as a team 
and then we move forward in the system either to we're going to work on this together or we're going to put this in the in the hold bucket the card itself actually has the a3 thinking the pdca thinking built into the template so you start off not with a solution you start off with a target condition and it works you through cause and plan countermeasures and you know your pdca cycle so as teams work through the problems they identified they're they are driving continuous improvement in a very structured, disciplined way. Well, I would imagine that those on the front line appreciate having that focus because you, you can't solve anything if you're trying to solve everything at one time and you understand what's most important. So you've really set the stage there, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. We, we tend to get a lot of positive comments, um, especially early on when people begin to see what is possible, when they start to kind of focus and clarify and use a, a standard process to drive improvement in their work. Some of the feedback we've gotten from team members or, le or managers, leaders in the past are things like, we've always wanted to fix this, we just didn't know how. So providing that structure and framework has enabled people to do things they couldn't do before. Um, another one I like to share is a, a team member who said, it kind of gives you hope. So when you have lots of different things weighing down on you and no and, and don't see a clear path or feel like you have an ability to drive improvement on any of them, it's stressful and can be overwhelming. And it's extremely empowering just to be able to see progress in something, you know, and some of you may have had that experience in your own work or at home. When you start to get something done, you see progress, you feel stronger, more empowered. And we've seen that effect very much uh, in, in team members who have participated in the process. And so far we've worked with a little over 21,000. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. So Lisa, the, the Cleveland Clinic seems to have the practice of a tiered huddle dialed right in. Can you describe that process and some of the successes and fairly some of the challenges in implementing them? Yeah, so we implemented a tiered daily huddle process um, in early 2018. And what that means is that uh, we have a series of huddles that are tiered, if you will. So the frontline huddles with their manager, that's tier one, then those peer managers huddle with each other and their leader, typically their director, that's tier two, and then those directors huddle together with their leader. And the information flow and problem solving activity cascades in a very deliberate way such that at 11 o'clock, every morning, the CEO, the executive leaders uh, gather to huddle in our tier six huddle and they hear information from all parts of our organization. They hear key statistics on how things are going and they also hear where are the problems, what are the problems, what are the problems that the team members need help with and every tier will have a, a visual of some sort of board where they keep track of their huddle conversations day after day. They track action items, owners, what are the things that they need to do to come back the next day. So we implemented that in 2018. Uh, the, um, I would say the executive leadership um, immediately saw some pretty exciting benefits. One was that they really felt like they had a handle on the organization much better. In the past, they would have told us that they did have a handle, and some of them did. They did have a good handle on their organization. But as information started to flow in this very systematic way, they started to see, oh, wow, I'm learning a whole lot more about what's going on 
in my team and my service in my hospital uh, in, in real time in a much faster cadence. So they really felt like they had a much better grasp on what was going on. Um, we saw teams see that they could close out problems or issues much more quickly because they had that clarity to say, okay, this is the problem. Uh, let's quickly, either quickly get to root cause and determine what our next step is or assign it to somebody to go figure out root cause, bring it back to the team. So they were able to solve problems, sometimes problems that had lingered for a long time, much more quickly than they were able to do before. And so we saw um, across the enterprise pretty rapid improvements in uh, some of our key quality and safety measures. We saw a, you know, a statistically significant reduction in patient falls. We think it's because we were talking about it every day in a standard way. And what we mean by that is not only we're saying we had a fall and what, what happened, but did we follow the standard or not? Did we follow it accurately or not? If we didn't, then why? How, what was the key learning there? And how can we countermeasure that? So what do, are the changes that we need to make or the things that we need to ensure that we can follow our standard process wow. across the organization. Well, and, and it, it, you know, many organizations talk about the importance of transparency, and it seems like the tiered huddle system has really exemplified that. Can you kind of on a side note, talk a little bit about how that transparency has helped engagement at all levels and, and what kind of impact that has also on uh, employee and staff caregiver satisfaction? Yeah, so I think one place that's really good and important is that, you know, as CI leaders, we'll often say, you know, oh, we need to talk about problems openly and say problems are opportunities and we want to solve them. And I feel like there's a risk that we could say that without actually providing a time and a space and a viable path for people to to, to have that conversation, to talk about problems openly. So in some ways, I feel like it sort of puts, puts our money where our mouth is, right? If we want to encourage our team members to talk about problems, we have to make it possible to do this and actually say, this is the time and place and way that we're going to do this. And, and we want you to talk about them openly. Um, so we have seen and heard a lot of positive feedback around that. Um, the other, uh, it's a kind of phenomenon that we had have seen and heard is that um, before it was much easier to or sort of easier to not bring problems forward because there wasn't a specific time or place where I have to come forth and I don't want to imply that people were deliberately hiding things but you know being transparent is not just about not hiding things it's about actually making them visible to, to the rest of the group to the rest of the team um, and so I think that's been really really very powerful for us. And then I think reinforcing some of the leadership practices around embracing problems. So if I'm a leader and I'm running a huddle and somebody brings back, brings forth a problem, really engaging and saying, thank you, I'm so glad you brought that forward as a way to foster more transparency. And I think it really, you know, supports, we do a, a, an employee engagement survey. It supports many of the things we look for, which, is, which are things like, is it a safe environment to bring problems forward? Am I supported in my work? Um, it really supports a lot of those uh, things we're trying to accomplish, but in a very specific way. Lisa, so here we are over seven months into a global and national pandemic. So how is this transparency and engagement and the tiered huddles help to be nimble and responsive during this pandemic and, and helped you in the last seven months? 
Yeah, so I think there are a few ways. One is, you know, when it was first happening, first arriving, um, you know, in, in different parts of the country where we have, where we, where we work, where we deliver care, um, we were able to very quickly adapt that huddle agenda to make sure that we were, that we were escalating key pieces of information on where our teams were struggling. How many patients did we have under investigation? How many patients were positive? Did our teams have what they needed to keep themselves and their patients safe? Did they have the supplies? Did they have the information? Did they have the clarity? So we were able to pivot our huddles within hours to ensure that we were having the right conversations to support whatever it was that our teams needed with COVID. Because a, a key piece of this process is to understand what our teams need and to support them. The other thing we were able to do was cascade information. So you know, we were learning rapidly new things about recommendations for personal protective equipment and who's at risk and how we should handle different things. So we could use it also to cascade information back out to the organization in a very rapid cycle. But I think it, it mostly is kind of reassuring that we have this kind of anchor to make sure that we stay connected and aligned across our organization. Um, on a very regular basis. And so we continue to evolve this. I think it also contributes to a sense of teamwork and we're all in this together. Um, you know, we're talking about it every day. You're not alone. You're, you know, you're raising things that you need help with. You're getting help back. So that's an important piece. If team members feel like I'm escalating and I need help and I'm not getting it, you know, this isn't, this isn't gonna have that intended effect. Um, so I think it really helped contribute to kind of the, the massive commitment and effort that the organization made to really respond and, uh, to the COVID epidemic quickly. Um, I do think we did some other things that helped contribute to that. I think some things that we had already done with our culture were help, helpful. Um, another thing that I think th that we did, that we were able to do, that I think was really um, important was we made a commitment not to lay anyone off and not to reduce anyone's salaries. And that's a, a, a huge commitment um, as an organization, uh, especially when, you know, you can't do healthcare, you know, for a period of time. Um, I think that a lot of uh, folks in the organization really felt very supported and committed because the organization was very supportive and, and, and committed to them. Um, in a very significant way, particularly in light of what's going on in so many other industries during that time. You know, that, that's something we've talked about a couple of times. We've all appreciated the enormous effort by caregivers. And I think providing that assurance that we're not going to lay anybody off, we're not going to change sale, and, and there's a risk to the organization, of course. I think to many of us, it seems like we feel we can't do enough to thank them for staying the course and the sacrifices they make daily, not only at work, but at home. What are some other ways that Cleveland Clinic has worked to demonstrate appreciation for those working there and, and staying the course? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say that um, early on, uh, a lot of kudos, tons of communication. We created an online kudos board so you can go in and post pictures and say thank you. And tremendous participation by patients, the community, our own organization, really appreciating, you know, stating appreciation for each other. Um, you know, we have uh, built processes to support caregivers who become infected, to support caregivers who perhaps, um, you know, are in an environment where they are 
working face-to-face -face with patients who are infected, but then don't want to come home because they don't have a place to isolate from lo other loved ones or loved ones who may be at greater health risk from COVID. So what are some housing options? You know, how do we really support keeping our, our caregivers safe? Because we need to do that. It's the right thing to do. And, it, and it's critical to keeping our patients safe. I worry a little bit currently, we see surges many places around the country, that COVID fatigue, um, one, con is contributing to the surges, but also will contribute to our ability uh, and, and energy to support people who continue to work in these environments. You know, you read right here in the news, you know, health systems that are stretched uh, around the country to really provide the level of care. I think it's something that um, we can never do enough of, and we need to continue to do to really make sure we continue to support caregivers. You know, that's a very interesting concept of, of we've talked about COVID fatigue in the light of the public, right? Saying, I just want to get out and go do something or whatever. But also in relation to those supporting the caretakers or caregivers who are actually doing the work and, and keeping that fresh and remembering that, Yes, we're seven months into it, but how can we continue to show them the support and and how do we give them any kind of relief? Because you're right, we've it is it is spiking and spiking hard, and we got some some difficult uh, times ahead of us still. Yeah, one of my colleagues said that um, she feels and she works in one of our one of our hospitals um, that at the time it was fantastic because you know we. Every, everything stopped. We had incredible clarity and focus. We had this fantastic sense of teamwork and, you know, we're all in this together and this outpouring of support. You know, there are people in, in the community who put signs in their yards, you know, thank you Cleveland Clinic caregivers and, you know, thank you essential workers, you know, for, for anyone who was working. But then, you know, a couple of months into it, it was like, nobody cares anymore, right? Now we're open, now do everything that you intended to do in 2020 and deal with a global pandemic and, you know, an infectious population and, and you know, uh, caregivers who are at risk and people have stress in their lives. So I think it's really, I think it's really important. I worry about the level of burnout and stress that we're going to see um, if the surge continues um, very long uh, across caregivers, for, you know, any kind of caregiver, provider, um, healthcare leader. I think it's, I think it's an important thing for us to pay attention to. Well, I applaud you for, because the fir first step is awareness of there's a potential risk and, and then you start talking about how do you address it. So I applaud you for thinking of that because that's something that a lot of people, it doesn't come across their mind. Um, so Lisa, any final thoughts to close this out for our listeners? Yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, I, other than to say that, you know, if you're contemplating driving cultural transformation, um, I think it's worthwhile. I think it is the, the right way to uh, engage your team, whether you're in healthcare or not, to engage your team, your employees, and to, to deliver more for other people. I, when I started, it was a bit daunting, um, in part because I knew how many organizations really good, smart people had tried and had struggled and some had really failed and walked away. Um, so I was certainly hesitant uh, at the time we really made the shift, this pivot in our organization. 
Uh, I had some great coaching, which I, I certainly advocate from Catalysis, the Lean Enterprise Institute, and others. Um, but I really encourage uh, people to lean in. I think that right now, given the, the stresses and the demands that are on our organizations, um, I don't really see another clear way to uh, transform the way the way we deliver. So really would just say, you know, a word of encouragement to anyone who's thinking about leaning forward, either with cultural transformation overall or with a piece of it, like a, a daily management system like Tears Daily Huddle. Wow, that's a, that's a great bow on the package, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Visit createvalue.org to find resources that can help you lead in the constantly changing healthcare environment. All of us at Catalysis hope you stay healthy. And as we've said, as always, we thank those working on the front line to keep us all healthy. Stay tuned for more episodes designed to help healthcare leaders support their organizations on a journey to organizational excellence. Thank you for listening. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens to learn more about how catalysis can inspire you to accelerate change in your organization.